Let me just, yeah, wonderful. Uh, folks, welcome. Our youth group leaders and some of our children's team are all down the coast having a youth leaders training weekend. So I was able to spend some time with them yesterday morning. Um, it is good for us as we start the year together to have a think about where we're going and what we're doing. We did the National Church Life Survey just the end of last year, not across the whole nation, but just our church so that we could see where we're up to. And um, we are going to be setting some direction for the next 12 months. So that's what this sermon is about today. Uh, I need to say uh, at the outset that I turned 65 this year and so I will be retiring in September. So we have set forward the plan for our church for the next 12 months and going on into the future as well. I wanted to get that out of the way before uh, we went any further. I'll be explaining over the next couple of weeks the process that will happen as we, uh, as we find a replacement for me. But um, So this is our plan for the next 12 months and a whole lot of it is based on what you told us in the National Church Life Survey. So how about I pray and then we'll have a look at this where we're going in the next 12 months together. Loving Father, thank you for your great goodness. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark about what you expect of your people and your church. And I pray now, Father, as we look together at the plans for the next 12 months, that they'll be that we'll be walking in your footsteps, the footsteps of your spirit as we try to work out where we're going. Amen. Well, folks, I want to start my sermon today with two quotes, quite different quotes. The first is from a woman called Barbara Scher. She is a life coach and she appears regularly on American TV and she has sold millions of books worldwide. This is what she says. As soon as you begin to pursue a dream... Your life wakes up and everything has meaning. The second quote is from Jesus of Nazareth, who said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Sure says, follow your dreams. Jesus says, follow me. And you could not have two more completely opposite worldviews. And yet many of us are trying to marry those two together, to mesh them together. But you see, Barbara Scher's philosophy puts us right at the very centre. The way to give life meaning is to serve your best interests, is to find your dream and pursue it. The Bible puts Jesus at the centre and says the way to real life the way to have real meaning in life is to forget yourself, to forget your dreams and to follow Jesus, or rather to make it your dream to follow Jesus. See, the Bible says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. I want to say that I don't think many of us actually believe that. I think that the world has so infiltrated the Christian church that we do not think that the best way forward is to give up our selfish ambitions. I think we've been hoodwinked. A German pastor and writer called Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book The Cost of Commitment says this, when God calls a person, he bids them come and die. When God calls a person, he bids them come and die. Rick Warren, in his very, very popular book, The Purpose Driven Life, says, 
His opening, ver- his opening words in the whole book about the purpose of life is, it is not about us. And I hope as you listen to that Bible reading, Jesus' prayer before his uh, crucifixion, what we call his high priestly prayer in John 17, I hope you noticed how, much, how many times he says that his goal is to glorify the Father and that people will be glorified as they glorify the Father because that is what is the meaning of life, to bring glory to God. So have a look at what the Bible says. Just three quotes from the Bible, two from Jesus, one from Paul. In the same way, says Jesus, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Your goal is to live such a life that people will see your good deeds and give glory to God. And again, Jesus, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We are to bear fruit, showing ourselves to be Jesus' disciples so that it brings glory to the Father. And Paul in 1 Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, for God's people, it's all about the glory of God. And how do we glorify God? Well, here at Menai Anglican, we have stripped it down to five things, just so that it's easy to remember. Firstly, we glorify God by honouring him in all we do. This won't be new to a whole lot of you, but we're going over it again because it's old ground. Secondly, we gather as God's people to do what? To encourage and build each other up in the faith. Thirdly, we give of ourselves and our resources to God's big plan for the church. Over the side there, you'll notice there's a give board. It says, uh, it gives a list of all the ministries and things that need input from various people in our church. Have a look at that after. See if you can fulfill some of those roles. Fourthly, we grow more like Jesus. Grow in spiritual maturity. And lastly, we go with the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So what have we got planned this year for our church? Well, in that National Church Life Survey that we all did at the end of last year, you told us, you told the staff, that you think our number one priority ought to be to focus on spiritual growth. Uh, Over 46% of you said that that is the main game. This comes under the the grow heading. Grow spiritually. We all want to grow spiritually. Stefan champions this cause. You heard him this morning talking about growth groups. He is our grow pastor. And it is vital, brothers and sisters, this is the vital thing, that your faith be your own, that you be a spiritual self-starter, that your beliefs not dependent upon others or upon those around you or upon even your church but that you have an individual relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that if you were to be flying from here to America, I don't know whether there's any islands in between there that are uninhabited, but your plane crashes and you get shipwrecked and you're on your own, would your faith continue? Are you a spiritual self-starter? See, any relationship requires communication and Christianity is not a religion it is not a philosophy it is a relationship it is a relationship where we get adopted by God the Father into his family through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and brought home to us by the work of the Holy Spirit it is a relationship and any relationship needs communication 
as you well know. And God speaks to us and we speak to God. And God speaks to us as the Holy Spirit takes his word and applies it to our lives. And we speak to God in prayer. And the Holy Spirit, we're told, takes our prayers and presents them to God. And so we set this goal a couple of years ago and it is still our big goal for this year, 2020. We plan to continue to make it our number one strategy to help each other to grow spiritually. You want to grow spiritually? Here is our strategy to do it. We are encouraging every single member of our church to spend more time reading the Bible and praying, doing it at least four times a week. Some of you are already doing that, um, but some of you aren't. And why do we choose that strategy? I've got three reasons. Okay, so five things that we do, three reasons for this first strategy. Here it is. Firstly, millions of Christians for 2,000 years have testified to the fact that the way to grow spiritually is to read the Word of God and to pray for yourself. That is the way that you get nourished in your faith. If you want spiritual growth, brothers and sisters, you must be reading the Word and you must be speaking to God in prayer. That's the first reason why we've chosen this strategy. Secondly, it's a personal one for me, I am really concerned that so much of what I hear from the lips of Christians is not what the Bible says. In fact, sometimes quite contradictory to what the Bible says. And so we want to encourage every member of our church to be able to evaluate what they hear in the world around them, what they hear coming out of the mouths of other Christians, evaluate it against the standard, the word of God. We need to keep bringing our thinking into line with what the Bible says. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And how can you be obedient if you don't know what the word says? If, if you're calling things okay that the Bible says is sin, and you're calling things wrong that the Bible says is, is godly and right. So friends, we need to be reading the word of God four times a week at least. And why do we say four times a week? Well, you may be aware, because we've mentioned this before, some research was done back in 2012. And uh, 100,000 people surveyed, and a whole lot of other surveys uh, and the research brought together under one head. And this is what that survey said. Consistent across all these individual studies is the finding that engaging in the Bible four or more times a week is the strongest and most reliable predictor of spiritual growth. I'm going to give you some stats. We've been through some of these before. Stats are not everything. But isn't it fantastic when the research supports what the Bible says? We'd expect it to do that anyway. So here's some of what the research says. If you are reading the Bible and praying at least four times a week, you are 31% more likely to forgive others. Isn't that staggering? You are 31% less likely to feel discouraged. You are 14% less likely to experience fear or anxiety. You are 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. Isn't that interesting? 60% less likely to feel stagnant. You want to grow in your spiritual faith? Read the Bible, pray three or four times a week. You, get this one. You are 416% more likely to be giving to the ministry of the church. You are 228% more likely to share your faith. And you are 231% more likely to disciple other people. Isn't that interesting? Because we are called upon to disciple people who disciple others. That's part of our role as God's people. You are 231% more likely to do that if you're reading your Bible and praying at least four times a week. You are 62% less likely to have a drinking problem. 
you are 59% less likely to view pornography. You are 31% less likely to lash out in anger. You are 28% less likely to lie and 26% less likely to neglect your family. And there's a whole lot of other statistics in the research. I don't want to go through it all. I want to give you a taste of it. As I say, statistics and research aren't everything. But you would expect it to back up what the experience of Christian people has been for 2,000 years. And you would expect it to back up what the Bible itself says. Remember the disciples saying to Jesus, what are we going to do, Jesus, when you go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we plan this year, 2020, to do all we can to help each other become spiritual self-starters by reading and praying at least four times a week. If you don't know where to start with that, if you've never done that, talk to Stefan afterwards out in the foyer, talk to me, talk to anybody else that you trust. Uh, There are a million different ways you can get started in this process. And I personally change the way that I do it every year or so at the moment. I've been working through a series of commentaries, books on the book of Romans by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I want to tell you, it has been food for my soul. It has been refreshing and energizing. And when I finish his 12 volumes or whatever it is, I'm going to do something else because I need to keep doing things that are different. If you are a growth group leader or you're in a growth group, you are vital to this plan. Are your members reading the Bible and praying by themselves? Do you know whether they're doing that? This is not a law we want people to keep, by the way. This is a spiritual discipline that we think is going to be really helpful to people to grow in their godliness and their faith. So if you are a growth group leader, why not make it a question each week in your growth group as you start, what has God been doing in your life? What have you been reading in the Word? Uh, I meet up with a mentor. I have a mentor, a coach. I meet him every month. And one of the first questions he asks me when we meet is, what are you reading in the Word and what is God teaching you? What a great question to ask each other. Not straight out of the blue. Um, But, you know, saying to people, uh, how are you going? Oh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Then that question may be, what have you been reading the Bible? What's the Lord been teaching you? Or say, well, can I tell you what God's been doing in my life, what I've been learning in the Word as I've been reading, so that we're encouraging each other to think that this is an important thing to do. Later this year, we're going to be preaching through a series on the spiritual disciplines are things that Christians have done down through the centuries to help them grow. Things like, you know, fasting and praying and studying and we'll be doing a series on that. But don't wait till then to kick this off. I want to encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible regularly and praying, to kick it off. It only takes 10 minutes a day to start off with. The National Church Life Survey that we did at the end of last year tells us that 37% of us read the Bible and pray every day or most days. 37%. Another 32% of us do it a few times a week. Wouldn't it be great if we could double that figures? Not because it'll make us feel good that we're getting good statistics, but because it means that that we as God's people are growing in in our relationship with God and our spiritual maturity. When I was a young Christian, um, I became a Christian at about age 11. It was just par for the course that what you did was you did your quiet time every day. And it was par for the course that you learnt to memorise bits of the Bible. I wonder how many of us today 
uh, being told, learn the Bible off by heart, learn bits of it. So that I did a thing called the topical memory system through the navigators, 72 Bible verses. The beauty of it was the verse that you learnt, the passage surrounding that was also on the same topic. And so it actually gave you an index to the whole Bible if you learnt those passages. I want to encourage you, commit the Bible to memory. A bit, at least verses, important verses, so that when things come up in your life, the first thing that comes into your mind is what the scripture has to say about it. That's the first thing. The next, a bit shorter points, three more points. So the first one is to grow spiritually by encouraging each other to read the Bible and pray. Secondly, this part of our plan is that we grow more and more into a church that is reaching out with the good news of Jesus. The technical word for that is evangelism. Punchy is our staff member who champions this area of our ministry. He is our go pastor. We need to go with the gospel. One of the most potent for me and challenging verses in the Bible is Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and following. It says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And the very next, the very next thing he does is he says to his disciples, now you go. You're the harvesters. You've been praying for it. Now you're the answer to your own prayer. Get out there and preach the gospel. See, Jesus looked at the society around him and he didn't see a whole bunch of self-satisfied smug people. He didn't see people with their game faces on, pretending they had life altogether. He saw underneath that, and he saw through the reality that they were lost, that they were harassed and helpless, and they needed a shepherd for their souls. Do you see that when you look at the people around you in your neighbourhood and your workplace? Because that's what they are. Harassed and helpless, morally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus saw there were people he headed for a godless eternity on Judgment Day. And his heart went out to them. He was filled with compassion. Is that how you feel about those around us? You know, or do you, or do you, hop, you know, get, get, get caught up with how they present themselves as, oh, you know, I don't want anything to do with the Bible and it's all humbug and, you know, I've got my life together. Do you, do you stop there or do you, do you see them with the eyes of Jesus? We ought to be praying. Can I challenge you? to make it a goal, to wake up each morning and say, God, please help me to see people with Jesus' eyes. Please fill my heart with, with compassion, with a longing and a, and a love for the lost that they be saved. Now, I've run out of friends who aren't believers. Um, sadly, not because they've all become Christians, but because you just lose contact. Uh, I've decided to join a community group to give me opportunities to understand people outside the church because we need to be listening to those outside the church before we preach to them and then to get a chance to share my faith. I used to do it in my uh, martial arts classes but I'm getting old and I can't do that anymore. <laughs> See, Jesus gave his disciples and that includes you and me if you are a follower of Jesus. He gave us a mission to go out into the world and make disciples. We you and I have a mission from God. You know, for many people who go to churches, uh, church is like a cruise ship for them. What I mean by that is it provides all sorts of activities to meet their needs. Uh, it provides, you know, youth 
youth activities and children's activities and pastoral care and men's things and women's things and, and on and on it goes. And those things are all good things. They're all good things. But the temptation is to judge your church on what it does to meet your needs. You know, do the church services inspire me? Uh, is the preaching motivational? Is it positive? Does the music meet my tastes? Is the pastoral care good enough? Now, all those things and other things beside are important. But I am convinced that if the Bible was to use a shipping analogy for a church, it would use, this, it would use the analogy, the picture of a rescue boat. You know, there are no toilets in a rescue boat. The only people on a rescue boat are the crew and those being rescued. No passengers, nothing to meet your needs, because you're on a mission. I've told this story before, but I think, for me, it really sums up this picture of the church. Uh, it's in Clements Busby, when Judy and I started working there with nine people. Uh, we decided to become a church plant in a new housing area west of Liverpool. And one of the nine members in our church was a lady, Dulce Jarvis, in her 80s. And she took me aside after about two or three months and she said, Bruce, I hate what you're doing to our church. I hate the way you've changed the music and I don't like it. But we've been praying for years for God to grow our church. And so I want you to know that I am 100% behind what you are doing. She understood what church was about. She understood that it was not a cruise ship, but it was a rescue boat. She knew that it did not exist for her comfort. Friends, when you judge a church, judge it by its mission. Judge it by its devotion to the word of God, its devotion to love and its mission. What is it doing? It exists to storm the gates of hell. Jesus said to Peter, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, which, which was the declaration that Jesus was the Son of God, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew chapter 16. So I want to encourage you, every single one of you, to buy into this mission that God has given us. Invite people to church. You know, we keep being told all the time, don't we, that people are not interested in church and all those sort of things, and yet the statistics tell us that over 60% of the people in our culture around us believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe that he walked on water. And surveys that have been done of people who've gone to church, any Christian church in Sydney for the first time, come out pleasantly surprised. Seriously. They come out of church going, that was pretty good. And most of us find our church services inspirational. We know that because you told us in the National Church Life Survey. Over three-quarters of us say we go home from church inspired. And over 80% we go home from church knowing we've learned something more about God. And so if we're finding it enjoyable and people out there when they come find it enjoyable, why aren't we inviting them? One in six say they'll come if they get invited. And can I say God is doing Great things amongst us. We just You don't get to hear all the stuff that's going on. Uh, I get to hear some of it. But we want you to tell us your stories. You know, we get people converted every year in our church. 30 or 40 people at least. 
tell us your stories because we want people to know that God is at work and we want to be able to tell those stories. In fact, we are employing uh, this year uh, Elise Cork, who used to be Elise Chiganani. She's coming on board to help us communicate that stuff better, to communicate to the world outside and to communicate these good stories inside our church so that we hear that God is active because there's nothing more encouraging, is there, to hear that people are being converted, not just that, that they're growing in their faith, that God is working amongst us. And he works amongst us in the ways that we never expect. So Elise will be joining us this Wednesday, working two days a week for us. Because we believe that Jesus and his church is the only hope for the world. That's the second thing. Third thing, people in ministry. Part of our plan is to encourage people to give of themselves and their resources in ministry here at Menai Anglican Church. Hence, as I mentioned, the give board at the back there. Uh, Give, uh, Mary is the person who champions give in our church We want to encourage everybody to use their gifts and abilities and their resources for the mission. Introducing Jesus, changing lives. Uh, This year we are especially focusing on encouraging the women among us in this area. Margaret has been and will be making uh, a large part of her focus this year on doing that. She is meeting with a, a whole lot of our young women, for instance, to encourage them to use their gifts and abilities to think about doing full time Christian service. We are employing a part-time student minister this year, Eva Tong, to work with our young women, specifically to help them and encourage them and grow them. She's currently in second year at Moore College. She's currently stuck in Hong Kong. <laughs> so we are praying that she'll be out soon. Uh, as you well know, almost half the people on our staff team here are women. Our dream, our dream is that every member here at Menai Anglican will be involved in serving others in some ministry. We also want to support those of you who are doing ministry outside our church. Those of you who are teachers and nurses. and, In fact, the great Martin Luther taught us a great thing. He taught us that whatever you're doing, if you are a plumber, if you're a tradesman, if you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God and that is your ministry. So we want to encourage people in those areas as well. One of the great results of the National Church Life Survey said... Uh, that over 80% of those who attend here are committed to our vision of introducing Jesus, changing lives. That's pretty good when you consider that we have lots of guests and visitors and people on the fringe, 80%. 88% of you said you think we can achieve, achieve that vision. Can I say that is really very encouraging. But we are asking you this year to be committed to that. If you think we can do it and you think it's a good vision then we're asking you to be committed to it with your gifts and talents and resources and finances. Why not start off this new year by assessing your life and saying, am I using myself to be able to give in areas where I can be of assistance? It's not always areas where you might think your greatest gift lies. I think my greatest gift lies in music and singing. There ain't no way the music team is ever going to get me up the front. Uh, but we serve where we can, don't we, where there's a need, and we say, I can meet that need. By the way, that's not my greatest gift. Tongue-in-cheek here. But this will be the time to do it, and, and you're giving, your financial giving, to check it out and say, you know, are we, are we doing what we can to, to support the kingdom of God and the kingdom work? Uh, can I say, 
the Bible says that a, a, a good sort of, it's not a law, it's not a rule, but a good principle is 10%. Judy and I give 10% of our pre-tax income to the work of this church because we think this church is our first priority, the family of God God has placed us in. And then we give other things on top of that. We support a compassion child. We give to various appeals. Now, not everybody can do that. Okay, but we ought to be thinking through, are we investing in the kingdom of God or are we investing in the things of this world? The last focus for the, this year is in the area of pastoral care. So we're encouraging people to be spiritual self-starters. We're encouraging people to give of themselves in ministry. Um, we're encouraging people to think clearly about being committed to the, the, the vision and the, and the uh, mission here. Pastoral care. Friends, we're called to love one another as brothers and sisters. This is a church family. It is a big family, but it's a church family. The Bible actually says this is your number one family. I know you're not going to like to hear this, but your biological family is your number two family. You can only do what is best for your number two family when you get your number one family right. I know some of you are not going to like that because our idol is our family. But it is the truth. And can I say pastoral care is not hand-holding. In his book, Working the Angles, Eugene Peterson, the guy who did the translation, the message, says that pastoral care is seen mostly as, I quote him, putting plastic flowers in people's drab lives, well-intentioned attempts to brighten a bad scene. In other words, most people see pastoral care as, you know, sitting beside people in a time of need. That's not pastoral care. That is love, but it's not pastoral care. He points out, rightly so, as I think if you read the scriptures that pastoral care is bringing the word of God to bear, to help people help each other, to see that the wreckage of their life is being used by God to produce a praising life. That real pastoral care is where we bring the word of God to bear on the mess that we might be in at the time. And so we work on the premise here that pastoral care is the task of every single believer in our church that the role of the paid staff, you don't employ me to do pastoral care. You employ me to train and equip you to do pastoral care. I need to be doing it because I need to be modelling it, but you know, for a thousand people who are associated with our church, there's no way it can be done by me or even all the staff. Pastoral care, we are to train and equip you to do pastoral care. That's what the Bible teaches. And at the moment, as a church, we do that in various ways. We, uh, we have a team who follows up people who miss church for over a month. And can I say, that's not because we're nipping at people's heels going, oh, you haven't been for a month, what's wrong? No, it's because sometimes people's lives get into a mess with illness and other sorts of things and crises that they, they can't calm and we want to be able to help. And so we follow people. We've got a team that does that. We have a team who visits people in hospital and nursing homes around the place. We have a ministry that our Justice and Mercy team administer that provides meals to people in crisis. And of course, we have our growth groups that Stefan talked about. Those groups are the focus of pastoral care in our church. You need to be in a growth group and you need to be meeting weekly. If you are going to care for people well, if you are going to pastor them well, again, you know, is your growth group to meet your needs or is your growth group a mission group? 
it is in those groups that you will be loved and cared for in a way that you can't be in a larger church. As churches grow larger, they need to grow smaller. It's in those groups that you will be encouraged to see life's trials and life's difficulties through God's eyes as a means to helping you grow spiritually and long for the kingdom of God to come. Some years ago now, when I'd been here about a year, I think, a man stopped coming to church. And when I finally found out, I called him and he said he'd not been for three months and no one had bothered to follow him up. He said, I'm not coming to that church anymore because your pastoral care is so lousy and I feel unloved. I later checked up. He was part of or had been part of a small group, a growth group. And so I checked up with the members of that group and found out that two men in particular in that group had been meeting with him on a regular basis when he stopped coming to the group. Uh, One of them would have him around. They'd watch sporting events together. Another one would just go and meet with him. So I gather what he meant was that I, as the senior minister or the staff, hadn't followed him up. That's what I think he meant. He'd been getting lots of care and love. He just didn't think it was coming from the church because it wasn't coming from the staff or the senior minister. Have you noticed someone who was missing from church or from your group or from your ministry? Have you noticed that someone is maybe struggling in some way? Then call them. And if you don't know what to say, it's not hard. It's just, I've missed you. Are you okay? If they say, I've been there, you just haven't seen me. I'm sorry. I just... You don't care and I hadn't seen you around, that's all. But it might be they say, oh, look, this is happening in my life, that's happening in my life and and you can do something about it, your group can do something about it. If it's serious, you can contact us and we can do something about it. But call them. Uh, This year, one of our goals is to try and coordinate the pastoral care across the whole church. That doesn't mean to say do it all, but to try and bring all of our pastoral care things together under one umbrella so that we do it well. But here is a challenge for you and for me. Why not make it your goal in 2020 to ask people how they're doing and as a follow-up question, ask how God has been working in their life. And if you notice someone who hasn't been here, you know that one of the questions in in the National Church Life Survey last year was, if you notice someone hadn't been coming to church, would you definitely follow them up? Only 9% of us said yes. Sad, isn't it? Only 9% of us. So here is the challenge, my brothers and sisters, as you think about 2020 and the year ahead. We are on a mission together to introduce Jesus to people and to see their lives changed by him. Will you commit to that this year? You know, four out of five of you have said you're on board with our mission. Even more have said you think we can do it. Will you be part of it? Will you commit to that this year? Will you make up your mind to be regular at church and at your growth group or your ministry? Because you cannot pass to someone if you're not there with them. And I know how easy it is. And one of the things that Judy and I are looking, well, I'm looking forward to in retirement is turning up to church late. And a bit tongue-in-cheek, one of the things I'm looking forward to is to ring up my growth group leader and say, I've had a heavy day, I won't be there tonight. Folks, that's just not good enough, is it? If we had to pastorally care for each other, we need to be present. And we need to take the risk of getting involved. So will you commit to that this year? Will you come to church regularly and ask those sort of questions that will give people the opportunity to share what's going on? Will you support the work here financially? 
Our budget at the AGM, we will show you, is only going up a couple of percent, just a few thousand dollars this year. We're not putting an extra strain on people. But last year was a good year and we're able to employ someone to help us with our young women's ministry and someone to help us with our communication this year. Will you commit to that? If you think we are doing the right mission and you uh, think we can accomplish it, folks, please be on board because the blessings will be yours, not just ours. Will you make up your mind to pass to other people? Will you make up your mind to read the word of God and pray privately at least four times a week? I don't want you to do it as a, as a rule, as you know, this command that you have to do. But you know... It's like I've got a few back pains and my physio has given me exercises to do and I know that if I don't do them, I won't get well. Sometimes reading the Bible and praying is one of those things you go, I don't really feel like it today. But I know it will keep me spiritually healthy. We need to do those things, those disciplines. Will you commit to it? If you don't know what to do, come and see us. See, the vision and the plan that the staff have come up with is in response to what we see in the National Church Life Survey. What you're telling us you want and what we observe in there is happening with our church. As I said, I'll be retiring in September but we need to set this up so that whoever comes knows where we're going as a church so that we as God's people accept the responsibility for our church life together and not just the staff here. Uh, I'll speak more about the process of how replacing me happens in the next few weeks. I don't want to detract from this talk today about heading forward together, on mission together and being committed to it. I want to ask you, under God, will you be involved? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for placing us in churches where we can encourage others and be encouraged, where we can be stirred up to love and to good works and where we can stir others up, where we can have the opportunity to minister to people one-on-one and pastorally care for them, where we can be taught from the word what the truth is, where we can be a light on the hill and reach out to those around us who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Father, if these plans of ours are not godly and in accordance with your will, then please don't let us pursue them. But if, Father, if they are in accordance with what you want of us, I pray that you will help us to fulfil them, that you would make us indeed a community, an outpost of heaven right here on earth, a foretaste that we would indeed be a rescue boat going out into the storms of life and bringing people home to you. Amen.